So welcome back. <clears throat> so when Donald asked me to sit in for him today, um, he had suggested a particular topic that might be of interest, and I'm going to talk about it a little in a little bit, which is a program I'm involved in called Mindful Schools that's bringing mindfulness training into schools, actually focusing uh, on inner city schools a lot. But, um, so, but I'm going to say a little about that at the end, but um, I want to talk more generally first and then say more specific about that at the end. Uh, we can spend as much or as little time as people want on that particular program. So every one of us um, want to be happy, right? Anybody here not want to be happy? No, of course not. It's ridiculous to say that. Um, we all want Really, that you know, one way that the whole path of Buddhist teachings and Dharma is talked about is is the path to end suffering. So none of us want to suffer, and whether we're conscious of it or not, we're all engaged in the process of trying to head our lives in a certain direction. Right? And I talked about this some the last time I was here for some of you um, who were here. Right? So we're all doing this, right? Everybody, everything we do, it, sometimes they're not conscious choices, but everything we do is some choice trying to right, head our lives in a certain way, have things be a certain way, and avoid other, you know, have lives, our lives certainly not be in certain ways, right? So it's amazing sometimes when I look in my own life how hard it can be. You know, most of us, I bet if we went around and, and checked with people, what most people, I'm guessing, would probably want, I don't know what exactly it would look like in your life, but it would be some version of, you know, what do people, people want to be okay? Have life be all right, you know? Probably not many people here say want to be, I don't know, the president. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be the president. It's a fine thing, I think, to want to. Uh, I happen to think politics is a noble profession. But I'm not in politics, but, uh, but uh, some people don't agree with that. But, um, but my, the only reason for using that example is that's a pretty hard thing to attain. I bet there's probably not people here who want to, I don't know, be in the NBA. <laughs> Nothing wrong with wanting to be in the NBA. Yeah, actually, I would too. If I, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm 56 years old, and there's still a little part of my mind thought, you know, if I really practiced hard. <laughs> but I use that just as an example. Nothing wrong with it. But even if you're young and are talented, you know, you're probably not going to make it. Those are hard things to attain. What most people are trying to attain, I think, we may have those in our mind, which is fine, but most people I talk with, uh, there are things that are actually seem ostensibly or more reasonable 
that we could expect. And just the sense of even wanting just to be okay in life. And so we can look at our own lives to see, well, how's it actually going? How? Because it can be hard just to have that sense of being okay. Now, hopefully for most of us, I'm, I'm not trying to be pessimistic about what or get morose about life or anything like that. Um, depending on your situation, um, there I'm sure in a group this size, I think there's about 40 people here. There's probably some people here who um, are dealing with real serious health issues, financial issues, relationship issues, whatever. That's a certain level of suffering, no question about that. When, for, when, when, for all of us can have experienced times like that. Right? So um, that's the whole difficulty. For those of us not dealing with that level, and we're just more in the day-to-day, you know, for, for, for many of us, life can feel fine, and maybe we are doing okay. <coughs> we're kind of content going through life. But I was noticing in my own mind last night that um, I was watching on KQED, there was um, a documentary about... Uh, a doctor in, I think, in the Ukraine. Any of you see that last night? It was quite interesting. He's trying to set up a health clinic, and it was talking about just, just, you know, a lot of people who are quite poor and couldn't get even some of the level of care that might be more common in this country, and people who would, they brought in a neurologist from, from, from America to come and help do some tricky surgeries, and he was evaluating people and just saying, you know, oh, we could have just fixed this, but it's too late now because the two, you know, if they had just had normal health care, but now this kid's going to be blind or this child's going to die. or it was, it was just quite poignant. And I was watching sort of the, really the level of suffering that it was talking about and reflecting on how pervasive that is just around the world and how much poverty. It sort of got me in touch with, with that, you know. You know, what is it they say? A billion people who don't have access, something like that, don't have access to ready, easily available clean drinking water. You know, when I go home, I don't even think about it. I turn on the tap every time clean water comes out. And I'm not going to get sick when I drink it, right? So I was thinking about all that. And then I started reflecting on my own mind and how much I suffer and I was reflecting not so much about the real stuff, like I was mentioning, you know, if you're dealing with real issues, I don't want to diminish those in any way. I just ha- I've been through plenty in my own life. I happen to be going through a phase in my life right now where things are going pretty good. And I'm appreciative because, you know, it doesn't necessarily last forever, but I just happen to be in a phase now where I really have nothing to complain about. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. But that just happens to be what's going on right now. Everything's just great. And how much my mind still is worrying about this or... And I'm not saying I don't have happiness or appreciation. I've got plenty of that, too. But when I really pay attention to what's going on in my mind, you know, it seems like it's going to find something, you know. But instead of... And in a way, it's, it, was, it felt 
and I, I fell into a little self-judgment around it, so just to be honest about it, because I was, I was kind of thinking, you know, look at, this is pitiful, Shankman. <laughs> look at the things that you're worrying about. Instead of, is my kid going to die? You know what, I'm worrying because, um, you know, I don't think my Dharma book is in as prominent place as it should be in the, it's pitiful. <laughs> In the bookstore. I better call Marianne Clark about this. They used to have them here. Now it's tucked over in the... I'm not joking. (laughs) We'll have some time. The point I'm making is I watch my mind. And I'm... I mean, I'm kind of being a little humorous, I'm not suffering that much about it, but a little bit it came up in my mind, like, you know, this is the stuff I'm worrying about? And I'm reminded of back in the late 60s and early 70s, for those of you who are old enough to remember, some of you are too young to remember, there was this poster of uh, Meher Baba. Any of you remember Meher Baba? (laughs) And he had this big green, he had this Really, this big bushy mustache, and all the poster said was, "Don't worry, be happy." Yeah. That was it. And I remember at the time, I was just getting into—I was in the Hindu yoga world at that time. I hadn't moved over into the Buddhist world back in those days. And I thought, you know, that's nice, and it's kind of like though for children, you know, it's not that deep. I couldn't appreciate the profundity. Think about it. I'm going to say the words and just let them land for a moment. Just listen. Don't worry. Be happy. The whole Dharma is there. If we could unpack it. It's kind of simplified, and but I mean, really, if you could really get to the essence of, of what's contained in that, non-clinging, seeing clearly into the, the truth of things, the way things are, coming to know ourselves well, self-compassion, love, mindfulness, clarity, equanimity. It's all there. And so when I see the poster or I think back on it, it's like, well, yes. And in the moment, it's just so simple. Until whatever situation happens to arise, and it might be little like a little thing or it might be something bigger. It might be like my book or it might be bigger. Where just depending on the way our minds happen to be conditioned, something grabs us or hooks us in. We're not really doing anything wrong. It's just the way it is to be a human being. And so on the one, I think two things are true at the same time. It's, it's, I'm going to say the opposites, but in some ways they're kind of true. It's so easy to find a way of letting go and non-clinging and letting the heart open and, and to find a way, again, I'm not talking about the real serious sufferings that can come, but if we step out of that, it can be easy to, to be happy and let go and to understand the teachings and to really kind of find some freedom. And at the same time, it's really, really hard. Yeah. 
You know, Sylvia's got her book, It's Easier Than You Think. It is. And you know what? It's also harder than you think. I'm not criticizing her book. I appreciate what she's done. But you, you get the point I'm trying to make. It's both are true. Because we're all wanting to be okay. What's so hard about it? Especially, and this is, this is when I had to, to see it's my own mind. I can't find anything outside of my mind to blame right now. I have, again, I'm not making, I want to be really clear. I have plenty of sufferings in my life like we all do. I'm going through a time when things are great. I really can't, I was talking to my wife about this a couple of days ago. I said, because she was feeling stressed and I was feeling stressed. I said, you know, we don't have anything to complain about. She goes, yeah, I know. <laughs> and I said, and look at us, we're stressing out. How long have we been meditators? I've been meditating for um, 40 years this fall. He's been a meditator for like 25 years. And then she said to me, you know, you'd think you'd have yourself together a little better by now. (laughs) And we laughed because what really is true is, as many of you know, that Dharma practice, and it's not the only thing, there's many things in life that can do this. It could be therapy or whatever you do, but there's certainly talking about meditation and the Buddhist teachings and Dharma. It is utterly transformative. No question about it. Transforms your life. And we don't also, at the same time, we don't stop being human beings. And I think that's why we need a lot of compassion for ourselves. Knowing that, you know, even as we can become very clear, we can see a lot and, um, again, just the whole experience of being transforms. And there's still also something about being a human being that's, um, uh, it's very precious, but it, we just need a lot of compassion for ourselves, right? To knowing that we suffer too. And I often say that, and this is not in any text, it's just me. Other people may have said this too, I don't know. That we, you know, it's often taught that the foundation of Dharma practice is um, uh, the precepts or sila, morality. And that for me, um, it's self-compassion is actually the foundation. And I, I try to teach that as much as I can. Self-compassion. Because without the self-compassion, we can fall into a lot of judgment and criticism and be hard on ourselves. And we have some compassion to know that says, you know, after all these years of practice, and and people who know me would say I'm a pretty equanimous guy. And I think I have a pretty open heart, and I'm not making any grand claims. I'm just saying it's pretty good. And still, you know, I can drive down the highway and someone cuts me off and I can feel myself contract. Right? Right? Or I'm comparing myself with someone else. These things can happen, right? We're human beings. Now, I want to be clear. It's, it's qualitatively completely different 
One thing is just to be lost in these things when it happens. And as our mindfulness and our self-awareness and all that clarity grows, it's not that we're lost in it. We can be aware when it's happening. But we still feel it and experience it, experience it, right? So we need a lot of compassion for ourselves. None of what I just talked about was what I was actually planning to talk about this morning. <laughs> but it came up for me. It was just bubbling up because I saw this show last night on it. And it just made me reflect on just sort of looking at my, into my own mind. And then how I felt just, it wasn't for too long, but just for a little bit of judging and criticism came up. And then I saw it was happening and was able to be more clear about the whole process. But, um, and just how much, it just reminded me about how much I think self-compassion is just so important. But it actually does tie in to what I wanted to say because um, um, I do want to say a little bit about this program um, in the East Bay, and I think I can segue it in a a way here. Um, So then the question is, here we are as human beings, whatever the circumstances of our lives are, we all experience happiness, we all experience suffering in different amounts in different ways depending on whatever's happening in a given time in our lives. And so the question is, in this path meant to end suffering, what is what we use this term skillful means? What's the best thing to do? What are we actually going to put into action? How are we going to live and think and act and speak and be? What do we do? And it's not always so clear because, um, you know, if, if, if it was so easy, we wouldn't need the Buddha Right? We know we're suffering. <laughs> we know we want to make we want to head in a wholesome direction. Why can it be hard sometimes? Well, because it's not so clear what to do sometimes, and we need um, maybe a roadmap to help us, and that's really what Dharma teachings are all about. Right? You know, there's this uh I don't hear them anymore, but there's this ad on the radio I used to hear for. It was a like a matchmaking service, and I think it was called It's Just Lunch for Busy Professionals, right? <laughs> and, and the thing about it, the ad, it said something like, you know, if you need to, you hire professionals to help you in all these areas of your life, but you can think you can find that man or woman that you're looking for on your own, but you can't because if you could, you would. You've been trying. It's not working, so you need help, and we're, they have some. It's the same thing in the Dharma. We keep trying the same things to make our lives better. If it's working, good. You know, a lot of what we do will work. Great. But in the areas where we still struggle and kind of knock our heads against the walls, we need a little help because the, our, our normal instincts aren't serving us that well then. Because our normal instincts are telling us, create more pleasant experiences and get away from unpleasant experiences, and that's the way to be happy. What the Dharma is saying is, wait a minute. If our happiness is totally dependent on the nature of the experience we're having, having, then, you know, life's uncertain. And it's not totally in our control. We're in deep trouble. 
because our well-being is dependent on external circumstances. Why don't we try shifting the way we relate to our experience and find the happiness in a, that place of letting go and non-clinging and being able to find the peace in the midst of whatever's happening rather than always just trying to change the experience. That's the shift that dharma's. But here's where we have to be careful. There are the times in our lives where we have to change the, change the experience. And there's the times in our lives where it's not about changing the experience, it's learning to work with them. Both are important. And that's really um, where this, so what's called uh, socially engaged Buddhism or just the path of engagement, you know, Donald's always talking about that kind of stuff. That's where that comes from. Right? Because it's not always appropriate to tell someone, be with the way things are. And the example I always use is when Hurricane Katrina hit, I came out, I was sitting a two-week retreat in Hawaii when this happened. Uh, and, and when I came out of, the ret- out of the retreat, it was, the hurricane had hit just the day before, so it was the second day, but the news was just starting to come out about all those people in New Orleans and everything. And, you know, you don't go tell those people who hadn't eaten for three days that they need to learn to be present with their experience. You give them a sandwich and some water and safety and shelter and everything. There's clearly times when we have to, when the, when the, when the way to relieve suffering is to fix the situation, if you can. And there's, but we don't want to forget about the times when um, the way to relieve suffering is working on our own minds and how we create our own suffering. You know, I don't have to have a lot of suffering because a, a stack of books isn't over here and it should be over there. Again, I'm not really suffering that much, but I'm just trying to make the point. <laughs> we'll see if I call Marianne or not. <laughs> Part of... so. A real art to our practice is learning when is the time to change the circumstances or try to change the circumstances and when is the time to look, to work with being present with what's happening. And we have to kind of, sometimes it's clear and sometimes we have to um, experiment a little and see. We may not know till we try it out. And part of that is, is the ability to be really, really honest with ourselves and see what's happening, what's the result of what I'm trying. And that can be tricky, not so easy, because we, by definition, we can't see our own blind spots. That's why it's a blind spot. So sometimes, you know, you're sitting in meditation, and you really should move your knee, stretch your leg out, or shift your back or something, because, you know, it's really hurting. And you say, okay, I'm going to be present with this. It's really too much for you. And so you suffer. You didn't see, you didn't know, you try. We struggle. Other times, you know what, you didn't need to stretch your knee out. You can work with it. Find the peace, find the liberation, find the freedom. Right here, even though it's painful, what's happening. Because if you always stretch your knee out, your leg out, every time there's any pain, you never find the freedom. You never learn to find peace in the midst of unpleasantness, right? But if you all but if you never stretch it out, then you're not being kind to yourself. In the times when really what's needed is, it's like, it's, it's too much. You need to take care of yourself. So that's this balance. 
right? We can be out of balance if we always are trying to fix it and never try to work with things as they are. But we're also out of balance if we think it's all about being with things as we are and we never try to change the circumstances. And so that's why um, there is certainly, I mean, obviously uh, an important place for ways where we try to make the world a better place. Some people say everything's dharma, um, and you know who can who can argue? You know, any of us can say dharma is whatever we want to say. I don't say that making the world a better place is dharma. To me, dharma was something very specific. The way the Buddha talked, he wanted you to attain nirvana and everything. And it wasn't about making the world better. It was actually about sort of transcending the world, really. But that's just my own. Other people, you know, Jack Cornfield would sit up here and go, no, 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 no. So, so you know. Everybody will take it in a different perspective. So, but um, that's just, when I use the word dharma, I'm using it in a specific way. But I think it's very, very important for us to pay attention to the quality of how we live, and we don't have to be necessarily engaged in these grand uh, projects, social, you know, we don't have to be volunteering 20 hours a week or whatever, you know, we can... It's in any aspect of our life is paying attention to what's the effect we're having and how are we... How, what is the, what are we doing? And are we making? Are we bringing us to more happiness and peace and freedom, or are we creating more suffering? So that's sort of just in general. That's what I really wanted to start talking with about tonight. Was um, I don't have much time to expand on it, so we'll leave it at that. This idea of both. Um, sort of the, the importance of making changes in the world, in our own lives, in our friendships, in our relationships, in our work, and as far out as we want to expand that in the world. And the inner work, which is not about necessarily changing circumstances, but changing our attitudes and our relationships with our experiences. And, and both are important. So in line with this piece about sort of trying to make shifts in the world, um, I do want to just say a few things about this program called Mindful Schools, and we'll just do it uh, briefly. Um, my wife is a marriage and family, an MFT, marriage and family therapist, and she had been working, this was a few years ago, at a private school in Oakland called Park Day School. It's a, it's a wonderful progressive um, elementary and now junior high private school, and they do some partnerships with some of the public schools and so because, of, because she was a school counselor there, she also worked in some of what, what I, I use the term inner city schools, but the, you know, I don't know the best word, but um, just that's a good enough word, I think, um, and, and all the connotations that go along with that. And so she was talking with someone at Park Day School, and uh, something came up. She, my wife said, you know, these kids have a lot of turmoil, and they need mindfulness, and, it, and she said, you know, my husband, he teaches mindfulness. And so I connected up with someone at Park Day School. I don't have any background in uh, childhood development or childhood education at all. I've taught in prisons and drug rehab programs and a lot of stuff with adults, never with kids. 
And so we got together and we created, we said, well, let's try it out. And because of the Park Day School's connection into the Oakland School District, we actually were able to get into several. We started a pilot program as an experiment. We, I talked to some people, Diana Winston, who's a Spirit Rock teacher, is a friend of mine, and she's at UCLA doing some work. So she gave me some info on what she's doing. And we talked to some other people. And we created this program. It was an experiment. And what it was was, and here's what we do now. We, we, now we've been into more than 20 schools reached maybe about 5,000 kids. And what we do is we go in um, uh, to a school three days a week. So we do every single classroom in the school, 15-minute sessions, each classroom. So we'll come in in the morning. If there's 10 schools, you know, it'll take you two and a half, 10 classes, take you maybe two and a half or three hours to do 15 minutes in each class. We come in three times a week for five weeks, so they get 15 sessions. And we start them off, you know, with mindfulness of listening to sounds, and it's progressing them with their breath and body, and so they learn a lot of mindfulness. And then we, uh, every third session is a, it's really a metta. We don't use these Dharma terms. It's, it's all secular, but it's, we call it kind and caring, but they do loving kindness kind of exercises. You know, we have them imagining they're on the playground in real situations and something difficult. You know, we really put them in these situations. We give them test-taking techniques, conflict resolution things, and there's a whole bunch of stuff we do. And what we found is, um, so now all of a sudden I'm, I'm um, it just was circumstances. I, I, I'm, I'm very involved still because I, I don't know if I'm going to do it forever, but I'm trying to help keep this program going. It's growing a lot. If any of you are interested, you can go on our website. It's just Mindful Schools, mindfulschools.org. Everything's there, and you can find out all about it. You can find out how to connect in and if you want to find out more. But basically what's been happening now, it's been very interesting. After this first pilot program, I taught it. I've, I've taught maybe two or three of the schools, three of them. I'm going to teach another one starting in a couple of weeks. But mainly I'm more on the, helping the organization to go because we've trained more teachers. We need people like you guys who are, have some mindfulness background, people who can connect with kids, and then we, we have a curriculum. And, and we, we go into classrooms. We give each of the teachers gets a little, I don't see one here, those little, little small little bowls that they can ring as bells, and we give them as a gift to the classroom. And the teachers have little scripts they can follow, so hopefully the classroom teachers do it. And anecdotally, uh, we've gotten just tremendous positive reports from students, teachers, and administrators. And I'm not saying it's magic. It's just like for all of us. You know, it's not like meditation practice changes everybody's life. But I would say for most people, most people get some benefit some people probably would say they don't get any benefit, and a few. Some people say it changes their whole life. It's a spectrum. It's the same thing going in the schools, and and it's it's just been really um, powerful. So, uh, yeah, just one moment. Last thing I just want to say is um, it's now growing, and we're trying to figure out because we we actually. So first of all, there's going to be a day long here. It's Spirit Rocks listed in their catalog. I'm one of three teachers who's going to be here. Four educators a day long. But anybody can come. It's not just educators, people who want to do this work. Um, so if you're interested, you could come. Um, and next year, I think it's in October, Diana Winston and I are going to do a residential retreat on mindfulness for educators. So that's going to happen. And so things are starting to happen. And we're trying to develop how, how do we train classroom teachers. 
because if it's going to be in every classroom, teachers, we're trying to get uh, develop a curriculum for uh, for use on the college level for people who are getting certifications to become teachers as they get trained. How do we train people who are not classroom teachers, but maybe school districts just want to bring people in who like us, who can just come in and teach or teach their classroom teacher. We're trying to figure out how's it going to grow because we we did a day-long, uh, I'm sorry, a weekend workshop last month. We had maybe 140 people, and we had people from all over the country who came because it's, it's kind of growing. And um, we're not the only ones doing it, but it turns out I think we're actually kind of maybe the because we are going into these schools, we're, I think we're the biggest program in the country that's doing this. So all of a sudden, and also, it was kind of funny. I got uh, interviewed on the, some of you may have seen the Spirit Rock newsletter a few last year or something. I'm on the cover there, and they talked to me about it. And all of a sudden, I'm, like, I'm, I'm this, this mindfulness and education guy. And like, really, last thing, and then we, uh, I'm learning about kids kind of on the job. <laughs> it happens that I'm kind of a goofy guy, and I know how to connect with kids. So... Fortunately, I'm kind of a really kind of a kid inside in an adult body, actually. So, uh, um, and and but I have a lot of confidence and faith and in mindfulness and connecting to any situation. So, and some of these schools we go to, um, it's pretty. It's not like they're all great. I mean, some of them are really these kids are tough situations at home. They're acting out in school. Uh, we could say a lot more about that. And so how do you work with them? It's a whole big thing. So. Anyway, so that's the program. Um, I'm, I, I realize I'm a little rushed because I had this whole other piece on self-compassion that kind of just happened. But. So we, have a, we don't have that much time. Let me just check in, then we'll take some questions. It's, a, it's about 20 minutes to 11. What time do you end? At 11? Or, okay, so we have a little time. Yeah, so I want to be respectful of the time. Did you, you, yes, do you have your hand up? into the schools that you don't mention Buddha. Because, right. Yeah. It's, then, there's no, we're not teaching Buddhism, and we're not just yeah. doing it to be politically correct. Um, we're bringing tools to kids. So um, uh, there are concerns people have about religion in the schools. Right. And so and we're, we're already bumping up against that with uh, uh, religious right and Christians and stuff like that. And, so, and, and I think it's, it's valid for them to raise those issues. It's perfectly fine. And we invite people to come in and, and really, we're, we don't use the word meditation. We're teaching them, we're really teaching them three things. We're teaching them mindfulness, which is just being more aware in the moment of what's going on within you, your feelings, your emotions. So you're not just caught in it on automatic pilot. You have some self-awareness about it, right? So it's a real difference between being angry and just lost in it and just to know you're angry. It's just the same thing. Like I can know if I'm worried about where my book is or I can really be caught up in it. They're two completely different things, right? So we're teaching kids to be aware of sights and sounds and what's going on. The second thing we're teaching them is techniques when they need it to learn how to settle down. If they're nervous, if they're upset, if they're scared, if whatever, worried, teaching those tools. And the third is how to have open hearts be loving and caring people. Those are, there's nothing religious about any of that. Those are just techniques and tools. And so we invite people, actually, if anybody has questions, we tell this to them, and then we say, come in and you're welcome. Just come and see for yourself and make your own opinion, but please don't make a judgment until you've come and checked it out. And we seem to be doing fine. We've been threatened 
But, um, and we've actually are talking to some lawyers because my feeling is, it's like I'm, I'm not looking to have a, have a, get in a conflict. But you know what, I don't want to, so we want to do everything right to try to really honestly try to avoid it. But you know what, I don't want to be afraid. And, and we, were even, we even had a big conversation about, should we even use the word mindfulness? Because everybody thinks mindfulness is Buddhism, mm-hmm. which I think really denigrates Buddhism. Buddhism. Mindfulness is a huge big deal in Buddhism. Buddhism is so much more than mindfulness. Mindfulness is a tool. And so uh, people don't understand, think that. But then I thought, no, you know, we want to be part of bringing this idea of mindfulness into the mainstream. Let's not be afraid to use that word. It's really part of the vocabulary now. For, mindful. I mean, all kinds right. are, are using the need to be mindful. Yes, so it is happening, yeah. and you'll be surprised. And, and I thought it was more than it is also. This well, we both. live in Northern California. Right. <laughs> there are places, if, as a matter of fact, I had a conversation. Um, uh, the Sacramento Bee did a write-up. We have a program going in Sacramento, too, and did a write-up, and um, because of that, they have a blo- some kind of blog, and and I was in, got wind of that that there was a lot of it was they said it was the most heated discussion they've ever had in the history of their blog. So I went on the blog and I said, you know, I'm one of the people, I'm the co-founder of this organization. I got in there, and man, I was getting just beat up, and then I finally just stepped out of it. But I was trying to kind of just explain, you know, and not get in an argument, and I said, you know, what's religious about Breathing, you know, just using simple, using your breath. It's Buddhism. So you can tell people, all we tell, you know, if you tell people, just try taking a few breaths and see if that just helps you settle down. Say you said that to someone. We say stuff like that to the kids. Buddhism. So some people are going to see Buddhism anywhere. And it doesn't help that, that the people doing it are mostly Buddhists. But, uh, you know, that's like saying if a math teacher is a Christian, you know, you don't, you don't, that's all right. They're teaching math. So if we're Buddhists, we're teaching kids um, some tools. So we're, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're just putting it out there and we'll see what happens. I think it's a good example of how the Internet is stirring so much up in our society now. I mean, it's what's happening with this whole healthcare thing. The whole thing, you get online, there's these blogs or Twitters or whatever, yeah. you know, that's happening. It's just stirring right. so much. Up. I think that's true. And also, we, that's a place where we have to be really mindful because some of the things in this particular case, I don't, I'm not on the online world that much. I mean, I do obviously emails and have a website, but I mean, you know, I'm not on Twitter or Facebook and stuff. But um, man, it was, it was brutal because <laughs> it's easy to, right? Like, I would never call someone an asshole. I didn't do this, but I'm just giving you this example. Like, I would never call someone that to their face. And I'm imagining some of these people on blogs probably wouldn't do that. They would be civil. Boy, you get online, and it's that and worse. So, you know, we need to... And there's, there's something about that in human nature. I don't know what that is that, that can happen. I think it can bring out the best and maybe the worst. I don't know. I don't know. So, it, yeah. So we need to learn to work with it. It's kind of the way it is these days. Um, so, yes? I wanted to say, um, you know, congratulations for doing that because I think it's a long overdue and, um, and that you're not afraid. And, you know. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And really, it just sort of, I just sort of fell into, you know, it just sort of happened. And so now I'm, 
I'm really more of just a Dharma world person, but um, I want to, uh, and I don't get paid. I'm just just doing it, you know. But um, so uh, we do try to pay people, but um, we need to raise money. Anybody out there want to help? <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, um, but you know, I think it's important, and I think it is going to grow. And you know, who knows? In five, ten, twenty, fifty years, it might be just part of the standard thing that people learn. I hope so. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, there's a, a, a school in San Francisco called the Bay School that um, it's a science, technology, and world religion, and um, they do a ten-minute sit with the they call it morning meeting. And they sit every single day for 10 minutes. Yeah, it's wonderful. As, as a school, with instruction yeah. before they begin. That's great to hear. When I went into Park Day School, which is the school where we partner with, um, I actually taught that school. So we go into these inner city schools mostly that are kind of what I call underserved mm-hmm. populations. I just use the word inner city, but... Um, but we also will do, do affluent schools, too. And they have their own sufferings. I don't want to say that they don't. Which, you know, there's no question about that. Um, but when I was at Park Day School, it's just such a wonderful school. And when I came into one of the classes, the teacher says, okay, you know, Mr. they call you Mr. Richards. So Mr. Richard is here, and he's going to do mindfulness. And before he does, let's just ring the bell and take a few minutes to sit. And you know how we've taught you. And pay attention to your breathing. You know, I'm thinking, well, that was my, that's what I was going to do. <laughs> And then you'll go into these other schools that are a um, lot of, uh, you know, I think a lot of these pro- problems, I don't view them as um, about uh, endemic with any particular race, but it's more about the problems that I think come around more with poverty, which can be, of course, any race, but do tend to, so you go into these schools that are predominantly African-American and Hispanic and really poor kids, a lot of them are in uh, foster care and they're moving around or they're dealing with physical or drug abuse at home or, or some I've heard kids say um, anyway, I could tell you a lot of heart-wrenching stories that I've heard so I've actually cried in the class sometimes I, I kind of hold it in but um, uh, when you hear some of the things these, these sweet kids are dealing with um, and um, so and another thing I should say by the way we're not trying to stir kids up but one of the things that it hasn't happened much but we have to be very aware of Sometimes when kids learn how to, it takes a little time for them to learn, but learn how to settle, stuff comes up and all of a sudden, you know, we have them write in journals. Um, It's part of, they're just getting them to write. And and there's private journals and they can do what they want. They can draw pictures. When I leave, they'll take five minutes and write or draw. And then if they want to share their journal, they can. It's up to them whether they make it private. And one girl, so we don't pry if they don't want us to. And one girl... (coughs) excuse me, was um, coughing in the microphone, uh, said, uh, stop touching me. It was coming out. So we had to, so, you know, we have to be, you know, things can come up. Or or when we say, um, like, meta, love, uh, kind and caring, we'll have them, you know, maybe send good wishes and says, you know, may you be happy, may you, and every once in a while a kid will, you know, may you uh, stay, be sober mm-hmm. or... You know, may you get well from those gunshots, you know, or, you know, so it's, 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 it's a different, you know, these kids are, it really um, has been eye-opening to see some of these really schools that 
you know, I don't feel safe driving into the neighborhood to go to the school, to be honest with you. I mean, you go and you just do it. And it's just a feeling that comes up. I don't even know if it's rational or not, or it may just be unfair to the neighborhood to have that feeling. You know, I don't know, but it just comes up in me. And this is the world these kids live in. And so hopeful, but we have had kids... Um, when one of the things we do, we come, we tell them to try things. We say, well, you know, try for yourself if you can remember and see how it works. And we'll come back and say, you know, did anybody remember to pay attention to your breathing? Did it help you? Or did you remember to send some kind thoughts? Or there's many, many things we do. And, and we'll have them share if they use it. And some kids said, you know, um, uh, two, two things. One said, um, somebody did something with their brother or their cousin, I don't know, and they, and they were getting pressured to have to uh, get a gun or something like that. And he said, you know, I went to get the gun and I remembered my breathing. And this is a kid said this, just unsolicited. And I, and I took some breaths and I just didn't go get the gun. It's like, well, okay, well, right there was one kid. Another kid um, said, um, well, anyway, I could, I could tell you a lot of stuff. One kid um, when I go to take the garbage out, he lives in a danger saber and I have to carry a baseball bat with me because I'm afraid. And when I get afraid, um, it actually doesn't change the circumstances, but when I get afraid, I can take some breaths and then I can feel more calm and it helps me fall asleep at night. Or, you know, I hear gunshots when I'm going to sleep so I can, I can breathe and then I'm able to sleep. Mm-hmm. Or I send loving thoughts to, you know, my aunt or something like that and then I feel happy. So. So, yeah. <laughs> and I think kind of back to how you were talking about happiness and how hard it is to be happy. Yeah. We're talking about extreme situations. Yeah. And I've been a kindergarten teacher in less extreme. And those children, I mean, they're living in this world where they hear all those stories. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot going on for them, too. Yeah. So sometimes I think about you know how prayer in school was the big issue. We just had a little silence in school or even just a little journal writing in yeah. the morning. Instead of prayer, it's just, it's amazing what comes out. We, we, I don't think we give children, or we're, we don't give them enough credit for how much wisdom and compassion yeah, yeah, yeah. they really want to manifest. Yeah, yeah. And they're adapting to this kind of craziness. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what's going on. So anyway, I'd invite any of you, again, you can go look on the website, mindfulschools.org. If you can't remember that, just remember Mindful Schools. Do a web search on it, and you'll find us right there. And uh, you can get in contact. You can always contact me if you're interested in bringing it to your school, or maybe you're interested in doing that kind of work yourself and want to see how to connect up or whatever. I was um, going to um, talk about your other subject a little bit. When you were um, discussing, I could be happy, but, you know, uh, but my book's not in the right spot. Or, you know, when things are going well, like, you know, gratefulness and thankful, you know, instead of, <coughs> right. I could be happy, but, you right. know, I'm thankful for, yeah, you know, yeah. kind of rewording it so that, you know, all the little things around you, maybe things aren't perfect, but. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate that, and actually I didn't go off into that direction uh-huh. in the talk, but that's really a lot of what all this practice we're learning is about, is how to shift our, uh, shift our minds. And to, at least for the places, you know, I'm not going to go so far as to say that we create all our suffering in our own mind. I think you, you could say that, really, but I won't go that far. But I'll just say we create a lot of our suffering in our own mind. And 
um, whether it's little sufferings or I use the word suffering. So this is kind of a strong word, but whether it's unease or suffering or whatever. And for the suffering that we create in our own mind, um, that's exactly, and that's really so much of what I appreciate you say, reminding us all because that's so much of what the whole Dharma is about is how do we shift our, we hit, first it has to start with being aware and not lost in what's happening to notice, oh, this is what's happening and then can we make some shifts? Mm-hmm. And so the mindfulness is really helpful to know that it's okay to have joy right. in the midst of other people who are suffering. Right. I think that's, a, mm-hmm. that's the other side of right. being uncomfortable with joy. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Of course, this is a whole big topic because one of the things that happens with these awareness practices is we start to see some of these ways that, that we're just wired up, how we're working, and then it may bring up all kinds of things about like what's underlying that, and you know there may be, uh, there might be a whole world in there that that deserves some attention about well to free that up and everything. It's, yeah, but it all that's why mindfulness is, is it's not all of the Dharma, but it's so it's a it's a cornerstone of Dharma because we have to 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 know that and see it rather than being lost in it. We have to be aware to make these shifts. So the mindfulness, of course, is, is, is a huge thing. So. All right. Well, it's five minutes to 11. So um, let's do this. What I would invite you to do is, um, you may already be doing this, but if you're not, you know, sometimes when there's discussions, you know, our attention can go out into the concepts or into the room or into the discussions. If that's happened, I invite you to bring your mindfulness, your awareness back in and just connect inside yourself um, and just to connect into what's going on in your body states of your heart, of your mind, and just to notice what's happening in your experience. There may be things that came up during the talk or during the discussion that you connected with, that you liked. Uh, There may have been things about it that you didn't like or, you know, or that that you're reactive to or something like that. So whatever it is for you, just to noticing how it is. You know, whatever that is. And also to invite you to notice not only what's happening in your experience, but how you're relating to or how you're being with your experience. And see if there can be a sense of just um, letting be or just allowing your experience to be. So you don't have to fix it or change it or do anything, but just let yourself be. You know, that's a great act of loving kindness for ourselves to let ourselves be. And if there is something going on in your experience that's hard to be present with and hard to let be, hard to bring acceptance for, then bring some acceptance from, for that place in you. It's this self-compassion 
place, even when it's hard. I would also invite you to take a few moments to reflect on your own good qualities. Sometimes it's not so easy to know, and if you, if you really can't find any good qualities in yourself, uh, please uh, come check with me afterwards. Uh, uh, I said that, I think, last time, and I, I got a similar laugh, but I, I, I'm really actually serious because uh, every one of us, well, look, we're human beings, and we've got a mix, but every one of us, you know, what is it that brought you to a place like this today that's about, what is it, what is, what is it about? It's about how can we be more wakeful, clear, conscious, loving, kind, liberated, I'll even say enlightened, you can pick whatever, right? That's what this groups like this are about. That's a, a beautiful motivation, whether you were conscious of it or not, that would bring you to, to come here, to do this work of meditating together for 45 minutes, you know, which is not always so easy and reflect on these topics, various Dharma talks and teachings, which may or may not be easy or comfortable sometimes. So that's a, I call it a beautiful, wholesome intention or motivation in you that brought you there. So to really reflect, make it conscious about your wholesome qualities. It's important to, to, to be aware of them. It's not egotistical to know of the good in you and to be and to bring some appreciation for it. And then also to take a moment to reflect that you're in a group here, it's really a community we've created here of like-minded people. Everybody here, at least in that respect, is the same as you. Everybody here is trying to aim themselves, aim their lives in a wholesome direction, in a positive, in a beautiful direction. So what's it like to be in a, in a group of people like that? And just notice however it is for you. We're not all going to have the same experience. Perhaps generate some appreciation. You know, maybe sending out some kindness and appreciation to all the others here. And what's it like to be in a group of people who are sending kindness and appreciation to you? Who appreciate those beautiful qualities in you? And so let us end by... Uh, the traditional language is dedication of merit. And what that means is simply we say if there's been any good, good energy, positiveness, any goodness. We don't say if. I don't, that's not true. I, I want to rephrase that. For all the goodness that's been generated by our time together. We call that merit. But it's just, it's just, Goodness, really. Wholesome qualities. 
we realize that whenever we practice in this way, it's of course great benefit for ourselves, but it benefits others, right? It, it affects us certainly everyone that we interact with in our lives. Right? And that you literally cannot practice for yourself alone. It's not possible because it affects everyone. And so we make that more conscious. We, take, we say we take this merit or this goodness and we offer it up and we consciously, I invite you if you'd like to consciously um, maybe use words or just a felt sense. Um, may this good energy, this good quality, may all this merit be for the benefit and liberation of, for all beings. May all beings everywhere be happy and peaceful, and may all beings come to an end of suffering. So thanks, thank you all. It was nice to hang out with you. I appreciated it, and um, perhaps see you again sometime, somewhere. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.